Thanks for those WhatsApp voice notes. So let me invite then Dr. Sean Miller. He is a senior lecturer of the School of Economics at UJ's Institute of Advanced Study. Dr. Miller, good morning. Good morning, Cathy. Thanks for having me. Interesting that, uh, you know, one of our listeners now just referenced the $10 billion for SAA. And it's been a sentiment that has been coming up, right? The way we look at the state of education and the lack of funds to go around, I guess, across the board. Because you, you find it in the foundation phase. Go to the ECD centers, they'll tell you there isn't enough money being given to support them. And it almost carries on as a thread. And it seems to follow South African Um, citizens from the time that they are enrolled into school to when they finish and very much speaks to the kind of access they will have to higher education. Yes, Cathy, I mean, that's absolutely right. The the problem is we don't actually have enough money to realize our, you were talking about aspirations earlier, and I think we should should certainly aspire to all students who qualify being able to access higher education and not being excluded for financial reasons. But of course, there is a difference between aspiration and reality. So, you know, my view is that the basic education sector is underfunded. You rightly, you know, draw attention to early childhood development. Um, At the same time, we have examples like SAA. Personally, I think the SAA um, situation could have been much better handled and it could have saved the government um, some of the money that they've put in. There's also ESCOM, but you know, in those cases what's happened is we've accumulated debts, the government has commitments um, to, uh, to international and local lenders and it has to fulfill those commitments. So on the face of it, you know, it's grotesque to see ESCOM being given 23 billion rand a year when money is being cut, for example, from the education and higher education budgets. But unfortunately that's a situation that we've found ourselves in and we, you know, on, on that side we don't really have a choice. So the question is really how do we match the aspiration for all students to have access to higher education if they qualify and not be excluded for financial reasons and the reality where we're experiencing um, quite severe fiscal constraints. And I think the one you know, really important point is that, and this was my view at the time, mm-hmm. was that President Zuma's decision was irresponsible. Even in that context where you know, we hadn't yet been hit by the COVID-19 pandemic, but public finances were already under strain. Economic growth wasn't picking up. Um, in some years, it was below uh, population growth. So essentially, the amount of wealth per person in the country was already falling. And President Zuma committed to this massive expansion of higher education funding. And you know, the point um, is that, yes, in principle, it's desirable, but can we afford it? Mm. So I think, I think that decision overpromised and under-delivered. And we're starting to see the consequences of that now. It can't really be hidden because of the effect of, of the pandemic on the economy and tax revenues and so forth. Um, and so uh, the government is now, is now starting to have to reduce the planned expenditure towards NESFAS um, because it's just not sustainable in the current environment. But it's also important to remember that there was a massive increase. I mean, I'm looking at the budget numbers in front of me right now, and you know, the budget for NESFAS in 2017-18 was 10 billion. It's now 35 billion. Mm. Okay, so there has been a massive increase. My sense, and we'll see what the minister has to say, but my sense is what's happening now is we're seeing the consequences of poor communication, poor coordination and over-promising and under-delivering because you've promised these students the support Mm -hmm. and now you're not providing it. One of the things, um, Dr. Miller, that is also important uh, when we're having this conversation is to make a distinction about which group of students need support and how are they being supported. So 
you you've talked about NASFAS and the increases there. So that would be targeting those that um, simply cannot afford to be in school and they meet that means test that NASFAS provides. The current crisis that we're facing seems to be pointed at your missing middle students. Has there been enough attention paid to those students and what it is that is required for them to actually be supported to make it through university? Mm. I mean, we'll see what's, what the current crisis is about because there's already been talk that the NESFAS support won't be extended to first-year students, which would be you know, disastrous. But we'll see. Um, a lot of attention was given to the issue of missing middle students in the work that was done um, sort of 2015 to 2017, really. And um, you know, the, the NESFAS threshold was raised from it was about 127,000, I think, or 122,000, up to 350,000 a year. That's household income. Okay. So so, um, so some some measures have been taken there. Um, probably a little bit more could be done, you know, on the credit side. Because you see, the thing is, Kathy, one also has to keep in mind the the issues of inequality in the country as a whole. Okay. Mm-hmm. So at the time when this was happening, one of the points I tried to make was that at that time, 50% of households in South Africa were earning less than 55,000 rand a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we increased the NESFAS threshold to 350,000 rand a year. So what that means is that a student from a household that's earning about 300,000 rand a year can get full financial support for going to higher education. A student of the same age who doesn't get into higher education at that time was getting basically nothing from the government, but mm-hmm. they might come from a household that's earning 30000 a year, 40000 a year. So we also need to keep in, and this touches on your point about ECD centers and basic education and so forth, because those areas are also underfunded. We have students who are in, class, in classes that are far too big, really, to enable their learning. There aren't enough teachers. Yeah. Um, we know there's issues around school infrastructure and so forth. So one also has to keep in mind the bigger picture of inequality and also the youth that don't get into higher education because sure. one of the obvious ways of dealing with this yeah. is to address enrollment numbers. But that means that students will be, you know, they'll not get these opportunities, but we won't see them. They won't be protesting in the cities because they won't even be there. Sean, I'm going to ask you just to keep hanging out with us. Um, it's 11 or clock. Uh, Utile Saku is standing by with the latest news headlines and of course we are expecting to hear from the Higher Education Minister Bladen Zamande within this hour as well who are on track to finish in their final year should be given an opportunity to do that and not excluded due to their finances. Dr. Sean Miller, he is a senior lecturer at the School of Economics at the University of Joburg's Institute of Advanced Study. Uh, Dr. Miller, good morning again. I know that you've been listening to what the minister has announced today. Perhaps, uh, you know, some key takeaways from you on today's announcement. Hi, Cathy. Thanks for having me back. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, you know, there's still um, there are a number of details that one would want that weren't provided in the minister's statement, but I guess that's to be expected. Um, hopefully the department will be providing us with more information on that. So, you know, he made reference to enrollment numbers at the end and, you know, implicitly was kind of contrasting the number of students who qualify to get into the system versus the actually available spaces. And when we talk about available spaces, that includes funded spaces. Um, and as I was saying at the end of our last conversation, that's one of the areas the government is probably going to look to in order to um, in order to implement uh, reductions in um, in funding. So you know you reduce the number of students that can get into the system, and that reduces your financial commitments. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know. Uh, 
at, at, at a high level, I mean, this does suggest a fairly significant degree of incompetence on the part of the government. You don't, and students have been saying this, right? You don't, you don't tell students that they're going to get funding. And then when they try to get into the system, you say, oh, no, it's not available. And then you have this crisis management where you have to go running around um, in negotiations between Treasury and the department and within the department looking for funds and going to cabinet. This all should have happened before the budget was tabled. There is a process in which the National Treasury consults with departments in order to discuss precisely these issues. If Treasury says, okay, we're going to cut NESFAS funding by $7 billion, or we're going to give you $7 billion less than we'd originally promised, mm. DHEAD then needs to say, okay, what are the implications of that for the number of students we can enroll in the system and communicate it as soon as possible? You know, that's on their side, whether or not one agrees with that decision. Um, and that doesn't seem to have been done. So that really seems uh, extremely incompetent. Mm -hmm. You're raising an important issue because we saw just last month already news that NASFAS was not going to be funding certain programs coming out. Those students who had registered for those programs didn't get that con communication directly from NASFAS. They heard it in the media. There was no clear communication with them. And these are now uh, students who've kind of been dealt a bit of a blow because they have to figure out what it is that they're going to do now. That's right. I mean, I saw, I saw an interview with one of the department's officials who was saying that the reason that NESFAS didn't give clear communication is because NESFAS wasn't sure mm -hmm. how much funding it was going to get. So it didn't know which students it could commit to and, and, and which it couldn't. So again, that suggests sort of a, a, a higher level lack of communication and, and coordination. But, um, you know, that your, your point is precisely right. The, the only thing I think worse than not um, allowing a student into the system is to tell them you're going to allow them into the system and then not give them the support they need. Mm -hmm. Some students need to travel to, to be close to the universities they're going to be studying at. Um, and I think there was, a, um, there was an interview earlier that you carried um, with the students who were saying they're incurring debt because um, they, you know, they need to try and cover their costs mm -hmm. in, in this period while they're waiting for funding support. So um, government really should have sorted all of this out. Uh, before registration at universities started and, and on the financing level before the budget was tabled. It's interesting that the minister said that the funds are going to be found by reallocation, if I heard him correctly. Yes, from, from his department. Right, exactly. Yeah, and he did say from another department. No, yeah. exactly. And, and, yeah. and look, that's pretty standard from the National mm -hmm. Treasury's point of view. The, the, their view is, look, we've, we've done our high-level allocations of what we think the country can afford. You as the departments must sort out you know, what the implications of that are. Although, that, as I said, that is supposed to be a kind of negotiation or discussion between departments and the Treasury, and also the provinces and, and the Treasury, by the way, when it comes to provincial allocations. Um, but uh, the, you know, so, so, so that, should have, that should already have happened, that kind of discussion. Um, but what, we, what we're now kind of seeing is that the so Treasury's done the high-level allocation, and it's not budging on that. Um, and what it's saying to the department is, Yes, you figure you know, it out. You figure it out, and we'll we'll agree to whatever to whatever transfer you need to do of your own funds within uh, your department. That's what it sounds like from what the minister is saying. Mm -hmm. and, and the obvious question that then arises is, okay, where's that money going to come from? Mm -hmm. um, because if it's a significant amount, then something else is going to be cut. Um, and this is always the this is always the tricky thing when looking at public finance, which is which is you know one of my areas of study, um, is it can be you know quite hard to trace the consequences of some of these allocations. Um, but you know when they're coming from other areas if it's not coming from additional borrowing mm. or additional tax, then that means that something else is going to suffer. Let's talk about this issue of the first-time student, uh, first-time uh, students who are registering for university mm. and the fact that th the funding there seems to have been cut quite significantly. 
Right. Yeah, the way that the, the, the scheme was implemented was already problematic. I don't know if you remember, but when the announcement was made about um, free higher education and the increasing effectively of the NESFAS threshold, mm-hmm. it was rolled out. So first to first years. And then subsequently to second years and, and third years. Um, and that already introduced inequity because you had very you had students in need in second and third year who didn't get access. And they were the to, ones to that, that were protesting, right? right? They needed that money then. Right, exactly. Mm. And, and those students, to my knowledge, have never gotten access to, to, to that funding. So initially it was the first years that benefited and then once they moved into second year, they got funding in second year and the new first years got it. So, so, so what had been stated uh, over the past week was that the new first years weren't going to get this level of support. And as I said, I think in our last discussion, that would kind of be disastrous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would also be extremely inequitable, as I said before, because then what that means is there'll be some students who just hypothetically will be coming from households earning 330,000 rand a year who will be getting full funding, and new students who are coming from households earning maybe 120,000 a year getting nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, again, this is, this is something I keep coming back to because the, the narrative around the original um, demands and accessions from the government around free higher education were to a significant degree about inequity. So if we're concerned about inequity, we should also be looking, um, and I'm working with some mm-hmm. colleagues actually at the moment on doing research around this, we should also be looking at the distribution of funds across students of different types and, and by level of need. And that partly also comes back to your question about the missing middle um, in our previous discussion. Mm. Sean, as I'm listening to you speak, the one thing I'm hearing is complexity, right? That mm. there are many nuances in this conversation and in order for whatever policy response to get it right, it needs to appreciate the complexity. It needs to also appreciate the nuance. Is the approach that we have from government right now doing that or are we effectively kind of taking the easy way out? I think government has the capacity to develop and implement a policy that takes into account nuance. If one looks at some of the studies that were done, um, you know, around 2015, 2016, um, there's only the capacity to do that. But I don't think it has been done. As I say, you know, the way the policy was implemented didn't really make sense, in my view, from a sort of equity point of view. To now reach a situation not long thereafter where it was seemed imminently possible that new students coming into the system simply wouldn't get funding. Um, that suggests that the, that the manner in which it's being implemented and developed is extremely crude. It's not taking into account these nuances. At the same time, you know, we need to remember that um, there is just to come back to this fundamental tension, which mm-hmm. is between the aspiration that all students who qualify for higher education should be able to get it, should not be excluded for financial reasons. And in addition, and this was a point made, you know, in, in the FISMAS 4 uh, movement, you know, in addition, shouldn't be saddled with unreasonable levels of debt. Okay, mm-hmm. that's the other mm-hmm. thing, because, because mm-hmm. what we're probably going to see is government moving towards more of a debt-based model in order to deal with this, with this, um, with this lack of resources. On the other hand, you know, we have a lack of resources as a country in order to address all the needs that we have, as, as, as we discussed in our last conversation, whether it's basic education, early childhood development, healthcare, we're seeing cuts to, um, likely cuts to um, service delivery posts across a range of areas because of um, the, uh, the current state of public finances. So as a country, we do find ourselves in that very difficult uh, position. So we're not, we, we, you know, we don't have the resources to meet the aspiration um, in the sense that Yes, we could allocate 
a vast amount of resources just to higher education. But then we, we would have to have the discussion about, okay, but where is that money com- coming mm-hmm. from? What else mm-hmm. could it be used for? Mm-hmm. We're talking about the phasing out of social grants in the context of a pandemic um, because the government is saying it can't afford them. These are the people who are the poorest and most vulnerable in society. The government is saying we don't have the money for them beyond another few months. Um, so you know, when we talk about higher education resources, we do also need to think about other things. And that's not an excuse for not addressing the problem properly, um, but it is complicated. Uh, Sean, our problems are many. They are countless. <laughs> I'm in conversation with Dr. Sean Muller. He's a senior lecturer at the School of Economics at the University of UJ of Johannesburg's Institute of Advanced Study. We'll continue our conversation in a moment.